listen to me. Let's do that hockey. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Our five-part series reviewing the Dauber team's organizational ranks here on Dauber Prospects Report is going to conclude today. Welcome to the show. This is Dauber Prospects Report number 11. Today, we're going to cover teams four through one. So the top four best prospect pools out there, the best of the best. Although we won't necessarily be talking about all those best players, more of the ones Peter and I don't necessarily agree on, just like we have been all series. Before we get started, I should mention I'm Victor Nuno, and we want to remind you that the Dauber Prospects Report is a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Very excited to be part of this army of fantastic hockey podcasts. Check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. And you can use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. More on that later. And we also have to mention right off the top that the 17th annual Dauber Hockey Fantasy Prospects Report was released recently. Peter is the managing editor there, and I contributed as well. And the guide is a Bible for all prospect goodness. Dynasty managers know that. And it's a lowdown on each team's top prospects, the 500 prospects with upside, wait times, analysis, top 100 NHL draft prospects, and the top 50 current NHL prospects, and much, much more. Get your copy today at Dauber Prospects or Dauber Hockey in the shop. Peter, how are you doing, my man? Not too bad, El Nuno. I'm doing good, man. How about you? I am doing well. By the time this comes out, we will. I will be in Nashville. I think you will be just about one day later or something, and we are going to finally get to meet. It's going to be a blast. Nashville is going to be a blast. I can't wait. Yeah, me too. Actually, I think this episode should be due to drop on Thursday, so that'll, we'll, we'll be at the draft at round two. Hi, everybody from Nashville. We're having a great time. Speaking of great times, the organizational rankings has been a really good time. Let's get into it. I'm very excited to get into the, the final four, the frozen final four of the organizational rankings. So coming in at number four, we got the Anaheim Ducks. So this is a team that I think is about to emerge from their little rebuild, moving on from the Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff era and into a, a new dawn. Team's got a few contracts signed beyond 24, 25 seasons. So they're in a good cap situation. They have a nice found, young foundation of players to build around too. And Trevor Zegers, Jamie Drysdale, Max Comtois, Isaac Lundestrom, etc. Anaheim also owns the second overall selection which many assume will be Adam Fantilli. So that projects them out in two to three years for Anaheim to have a roster that could have a one-two punch down the middle, the likes of Adam Fantilli and Mason McTavish, sprinkle in some wingers on the sides, the likes of Zegras, Strom, Perot. They're going to have an all-star defense, Zellweger, Drysdale, Fowler, Mintikayev. So things are really looking up in Anaheim. And the prospects pool is a strong list of help coming down the pipe as soon as now, headed by Amazing McTavish and a stellar decor, Zellweger, Mintikayev. And a really good depth that follows that. You've got Lucas Dostal, Sasha Pastjov, Nathan Gauthier, Tristan Leno, Jackson Lacombe, Jacob Perot, and Braden Tracy rounding out the final top 10 consensus 
And then it was a top 15. So the next five on that list, I think Victor would easily have been on a lot of teams, top 10, or maybe even on the first episode of some teams, top fives. So you've got Cal Klang, Noah Warren, Drew Hellison, Nikita Nestorenko, and Tyson Hins. Going over the our comparison list on our rankings, I think we saw eye to eye on a lot of the players here. There's a there's a few that we were a little at odds with. So let's let's dive into some of those. And we're going to start with Tyson Hins, a player that I was a little higher on than you. He did not make your rankings, and I had him in as a six, so a slightly better than average chance of becoming an NHL player. He's a six foot three, 181 left-handed defenseman. Drafted in 2021 in the third round, 76 overall by Anaheim. So he's got a little bit of size and draft pedigree backing him up. This year was his coming out party. He was a point-per-game player in the queue with Sherbrooke, scoring 54 points in 56 games. Played his way on to Team Canada at the World Junior Championships. That's a tough nut to crack. And proved there that he can be a solid defender as he was deployed as a big defensive defender, blocking shots and killing the opposition's offense in the defensive zone. So good two-way defenseman. One potential red flag could be his character, as you know he played for three different teams in four seasons through the queue. But in the final season there, he was named as an assistant captain with Sherbrooke. So I don't, I'm not sure I'm not in the dressing room, but that doesn't sound like it's going to be a big deal to me. He has had some inconsistency issues to work out, and he's 20 years old now. Another challenge he faces is going to be the defensive depth and the duck system. I think he plays a niche role though, that may be to his advantage. The ducks defense prospects and roster players, their top end guys are loaded with offensive upside and mobility, but they need is the big mobile player that can insulate the stars, play a reliable shutdown defense and contribute some offensive support, not being an offensive liability. And Tyson Hins checks all those boxes for me. I think he needs a year or two in the American Hockey League starting this September. So for now, I guess he could be a watch list player, um, but one that I think can deliver good minutes in a variety of stats. Victor, he didn't make your final cut. What was your concern? Well, that was a great rundown there. I really like his improvement. Steady improvement, you know, even though it wasn't much from D0 to D1, D plus one, but then he really popped off this past season, as you mentioned. 54 points in 56 games is is nothing to sneeze at. Even the Q, whose point totals may be a little inflated. You always have to pay attention to guys who make the Canada Blue Junior team, although some guys, and that may be true for him, are there for that certain role, as you mentioned, and may not score a lot in the future. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. One thing I was going to say is that in the past, you've mentioned that some of these guys haven't made it into our guide, and that's true for him. I don't really mind that so much the that our, our guide is super amazing but you know you can't necessarily have every possible option i think pins is someone who who probably deserved to be in there especially in certain categories in certain leagues that that value that i actually wrote the the page for anaheim ducks in the prospect report and it came down to a coin flip between him and drew hellison and uh, guess who won sorry didn't mean to interrupt you there but as you mentioned earlier you're i think you're absolutely right Half the guys on the Anaheim Ducks farm would be top five on just about any other team, except maybe the other top five systems that we're going to talk about here. So, yeah, great, amazing depth. The PNHLE for Hins is 46, which is, you know, quite good. 
And I wanted to mention something a little bit about that. I was talking with Mason Black, who runs the ranking NHLE system, and and he was just reminding me that defensemen do get a bit of a point boost just to kind of give some separation because the can sometimes be a little undervalued. And so it's just a way to kind of identify guys who might have a little bit of scoring. So if you're looking at top end projection, it might be reasonable to, you know, divide, you know, take a few points off that divide by a third or something like that. But still, he's, you know, looking like he could be a second pairing kind of guy with decent peripheral stats. His hockey prospecting looks a lot less exciting. He kind of looks like a Brent Sopel type who was, you know, clearly an NHLer, but not like a, a fantasy guy that was more than a waiver wire ad. I'll tell you what, though, I believe in Hens because Anaheim picked him. They have been a defenseman factory since 2010. I want to read off some names here, Pete. 2010, they had Cam Fowler, Tim Heed. Maybe people don't remember Tim Heed, but he played a fair number of NHL games. Look at the size of that boy's Heed. 2011, Josh Manson, Andy Walensky. Still in the league, Josh Manson. 2012, Jacob Megna, Hampus Lindholm. We know what Lindholm's done. Megna has made himself into an NHLer. 2013, Shea Theodore. That hurts, Anaheim fans, sorry. But he obviously is very good. 2014, Brandon Montour. We saw him in the cup final. Also, Marcus Pedersen, who's clearly an NHLer. 2015, Jacob Larson. 2016, Josh Mahura. And 2019, Henry Thrun, who unfortunately didn't sign with the Ducks, but signed with the Sharks and clearly looks like an NHLer. Jackson Lacombe also looks very good. 2020, Ian Moore, Jamie Drysdale. 2021, Olin Zellweger, and then Hins. And then last year, Pavel Minchukov, Noah Warren, Tristan Luneau. They know how to pick defensemen is what I'm trying to say. So if any, if you're going to bet on any team to have identified some pretty good talent, then then I think Hins in Anaheim makes a lot of sense. My My not ranking him has more to do with how high I think his points upside could be. Not really that I don't think he can make it because, yeah, I think there's a role for him where he could be good. Just I'm not sure that the the points will come. As I mentioned, that actually of 46, you know, if you round that down a little bit, it might be, you know, he might be a 30 to 40 point guy with good perifs. That's that's something that's that's probably rankable, but they have so many good options. That's mainly the reason. So let's move on to the next guy that we're going to talk about. And this is kind of the the opposite. I didn't have pins on my ranking and you didn't have the next guy that we're going to talk about. And that is Callie Klang. And I had Callie Klang at a seven. You didn't rank him. And a little bit about him. He's a 2020 third round pick by Pittsburgh. He came over in the trade that sent Ricard Raquel over. I'm pretty sure that Anaheim had their choice of your book or Kelly Klang and they I think chose Klang which to me that says a lot because I think they're pretty good at identifying talent and so that's nice his his number 6'2 goalie 194 pounds so he's you know decent size not necessarily huge though he had another really strong season for Rogla BK in Sweden before last season and, and then came over to the San Diego goals at the end and, and looked really good at the end of the season and projects to be in North America next season, which would be good, which would be nice to see him stateside. Looking at his hockey prospecting, it looks really, really good. I mean, he he has a lot of comps of NHLers. I like to sometimes compare him to fellow countrymen, and in this case, Robin Leonard is a good comp because he's Swedish, a little bit bigger, and but his numbers are a little worse. Basically, in every 
in every stop from draft season to D1, D2, D3, where Kelly Klang is now. Klang has a better equivalency in all of those phases. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be better or anything, but that's pretty pretty nice to see. The The other one that I've looked at is Marc-Andre Fleury, who obviously is amazing or was amazing, and, and Klang's equivalencies are better than his as well. And that was more interesting when they were both in Pittsburgh. But anyways, I think the the bottom line is that Klang looks like he can be a starter. In case anyone's wondering, no, I don't think Klang is better than Lukas Dostal, who clearly looks like the heir apparent in Anaheim. I have Dostal ranked fourth on my prospect goalie list behind Wallstedt, Kachekov, and Levi. But I think that the Ducks basically have two number one goalies in Dostal and Klang. And maybe that helps facilitate a trade with Gibson. They can find the right value. Or if perhaps Klang does, you know, move on and they get some other assets, then I think Klang could be a future number one on that team. So that's my reasons for liking him so much. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I kind of agree with pretty much everything you said there. Not sure, not sure where our our divergence is. So I've got Klang stashed on one of my fantasy rosters. So, you know, I like him for sure. My issues is what you just said. He has Dostal and Gibson roster blocking him. And he should get a full season coming up as the starting goalie in the American Hockey this League. Eriksson Ek is, is gone. He's out of the way. He's gone to Sweden. And assuming Dostal is full-time in the NHL with Gibson, you got a 21-year-old Klang who will be getting important minutes and starting in the American Hockey League. This is going to be an important development season for Klang. I think he's got starting goalie upside or even star potential upside if everything breaks well for him. I didn't rank him on this list because of the roster situation, but I, you know, I suppose I should have. And if I did put him in the top 10 rankings, despite the roster blocks that he has there, I tried not to put two goalies on the same team in our rankings, but I, I would have had him in the neighborhood of seven as well for me, probably just maybe six shade under that. He just seems about th- at least three years away. And a lot can happen in that time. And my confidence in goalie evaluations is weak. So when you got a guy who's that far out and I'm not certain on him, but I like his upside, I just decided to stick with other guys who I felt were safer bets. Totally fair. Certainly no goalie expert either. On Fantasy Hockey Life, I have the privilege of doing a series with Kat Silverman, who is a goalie expert, and she definitely likes Klang and kind of agrees that they... Both could, you know, him and Dostal could be starters, but Dostal is definitely ahead. And, but yeah, you're right. Certainly right about the roster blocking, though. You never know, you know, what if someone moves out and all of a sudden you have an opportunity. So good to know. But I, I, I definitely take that tactic sometimes too. It's like, well, I don't know about goalies. So let me just take this forward or, you know, rank this guy ahead. That happens. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next team. That was Anaheim, number four. And number three, we have the Buffalo Sabres. So the Sabres have had some really good drafts recently. Of course, they got Darlene. That was, you know, great. And he's been amazing. They also got Matias Samuelson in that draft at 32. And he's, you know, clearly looks like another, you know, top four, at least maybe top pairing guy, which is pretty awesome. Casey Middlestad looked like he was kind of floundering, but seems to have turned himself into an NHLer. Dylan Cousins really broke out. Last year, Peyton Krebs, you know, maybe he's coming around. And then JJ Paterka and Jack Quinn kind of arrived on time as scheduled. Looking great. Owen Power looks amazing. He's like the icing on the cake there. Plus they got Matthew Savoy, Noah Oostland, 
who both look good. And both those guys were drafted before Yuri Kulik, who just had an absolutely historic AHL season. So things are looking pretty good in Buffalo, not to mention the team took a big step forward this year. And, you know, Devin Levi, I didn't even mention him, though I did earlier. It's looking pretty good. And and the reality is that Buffalo, the Buffalo system, Peter and I basically agree on just about everybody. And all those guys we mentioned are, are pretty similar. And so you can look at the ranks there. We basically disagree a little bit on some deep cup cuts. And so keep that in mind as we discuss these guys. They're pretty not even super interesting anyways, or they're maybe like depth pieces and depending on your league, maybe interesting, maybe not. And so I think that's important to keep in mind. So the first guy I'm a little bit higher on is a guy named Yami Maryala. Yami Maryala. Both those Ys are Js because he's Finnish. And he is a 21-21 fifth round pick. So there's one of your points for you, Pete. You're welcome. Six foot, 180 pound, decent size, left wing. 51 points in 32 U20 games in the SM Sarya. Nine points in 15 Liga games was pretty nice. He was drafted out of the queue. Then he went back to Finland. Kind of interesting moving around there. But this season, as I mentioned, with the with that production for TPS in the Liga, nine points, 15 games, that was good enough for a PNHLE of 49. And of course, that, that was a small sample size. So you never really know, but he's kind of looking like potential top sixer. And so a lot of things need to break right for that to happen. He looks like he's got some similarity scores on the ranking app of Alex Chason, Justin Abdelkader, Jake LeCision. So those guys are all kind of, you know, maybe fringy or lower the roster guys. I'm not saying this guy's going to be amazing. So just want to couch that. And the top-down hockey model for Vijama Mariala looks pretty pessimistic, as does the hockey prospecting model. And in that model, he looks more like a very average producer. Curtis Glenn Cross is the is the comp there. But what I like about him is that, well, he's got decent size. He's got, you know, pretty good hands and playmaking. And he's in Finland playing professionally. He's already got one season. He didn't play a full season, but if he plays another season or two, you know, he could be ready in a couple of years to step into an NHL role if one is available to him and if he can make that transition. Realistically, would probably need an AHL year. So it could be a bit of a wait, but he's definitely already playing professionally, which is nice. So yeah, I made some points for you, Peter. So it made your life a little bit easier. What do you have to say about Viyama Varyala? Varyala. So I did rank him. He's the 15th ranked Sabres forward on my list, but I scored him as a one overall. Buffalo's ranked third overall in the rankings, as you mentioned, but it's not because of their the depth of their prospect pool. They are very top heavy. The roster already has seven under 25-year-old players on it. And they have prospects who are under contract, like Kulich, Oslin, Savoy, Rosen, etc. And those guys are competing for roster spots. Not to mention, Buffalo's got the 13th, 39th, and 45th overall picks in the upcoming draft. He's an unsigned 20-year-old who's already gone back to Europe after playing in North America. So I, I just don't see a player worth rostering here. You haven't really convinced me that the upside is is worth it. And I, I don't see an opportunity with Buffalo. Maybe if they let his contract rights expire and then he signs as a free agent and comes back with a with another team who's in the 
the first episode of the organizational rankings, a lower team that might that might change my opinion on him and his opportunity. But I, I don't see him playing his way through the traffic jam of prospects he has in Buffalo. So for now, um, he's not on my fantasy watch radar. So the next player we were going to talk about with Buffalo is Jeremy Davies. And, you know, in prepping for this episode in my patio today, I think I want to do over on Davies. He was just about a point per game player in the NCAA. And that's when his stock really took off from there. But he's got low draft pedigree. And since he signed out of college, he was drafted by Nashville. I should throw that in there and has been playing pro. His production has essentially translated to the American Hockey League level adequately. I mean, he's been almost a half a point a game player over his career. So that's all fine and dandy and nice. But then again, you know, he's five foot 11 and, you know, I scored him as a one. No, sorry. And I scored him as a four, which is, you know, less than a 50% chance to play in the NHL. But he's also a group six unrestricted free agent here. So if he can find a contract on a team with more opportunity, like Pittsburgh Islanders, Boston, Chicago, or something like that, then he could sneak in to some NHL games. But I think I might've been living in the past a little bit with this prospect. But like I said, Buffalo was very top heavy and the bottom of their top 15 prospects pool is weak. So I kind of had to throw somebody in. So Victor, you're probably going to agree with everything that I said there. What's, what's your take on Jeremy Davies? He's old. Simmons is old. <laughs> I basically agree with what you said. He's not old, obviously, but by NHL standards, 26, he'll be 27 most of this season. And I agree with you. Like he peaked a few years ago and that was in college. And when he turned pro, it didn't really translate. It was really difficult for him. And, and it's not, it's not, un, not unreasonable. It's true for a lot of players. They have a tough time transitioning from college or junior or whatever to the AHL to their first professional league. And that was, that was true for Davies. And basically his stock kind of fell out from the bottom. Nashville didn't sign him. He's played, you know, for a couple different teams and, it it just hasn't, I don't know. I don't know that's going to work out. I mean, I really hope it does for his sake, but I think if you're investing in him, you're, you're hoping that he can kind of turn things around. And then the issue with Davies is he's never really been good defensively, you know, enough to warrant a lot of even strength time. So you're out there for the specialty minutes, you know, which is great if you, if you're playing in a lower level and it maybe isn't as important, but if those deficiencies can be exposed more at the professional level, it's a little harder a little harder for a coach to stomach. So this past season he had was his absolutely lowest, lowest projection in terms of the PNHL. If you've never looked at, at the ranking app, it's really nice to kind of see the trajectory and his first, his very first season when he was originally, when he was drafted in 2016, playing in the USHL, he actually had a higher PNHL than he did last season playing for the Rochester Americans. And so that's unfortunate just to kind of see his slide downhill. But yeah, that's my main, that's my main reason. And, but as a potential post hype sleeper, someone who maybe figures it out and gets a role. Sure. You know, Jeremy Davies, that's a, that's possible. If you see him in training camp doing really well and getting a role, then, you know, it, it, there's always a chance, right? So you're saying there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. So let's move on from Buffalo now. We're down to the final two. 
coming in at the first place losers, second overall in the Dauber Prospects organizational rankings is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, if you're looking for a team that could go zero to hero in one year, may I present to you second overall ranked team, the Columbus Blue Jackets. They had a brutal year, mainly due to injuries, but with a coaching change bringing in Mike Babcock, drafting third overall, and a prospect pipeline that is flush with talent, things could turn around pretty quickly in Ohio. Columbus has five has had five first-round picks in the past two drafts, two inside the top 10 with fifth and sixth overall, and they selected at number 12 twice. The bounty from the past two drafts has included such hits like David Yurichek, Denton Matejcik, Luca Del Belbeluz, Jordan Dumay, Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, and Corson Kuhlmans. All you'll find within the top 10 of our organizational rankings consensus list. And Victor and I pretty much agree with all the players in the top 10 in our scores. Yurichek, Johnson, Marchenko, Matejcik, Svozol, Dumay, Kuhlmans, Del Belbeluz. But we're a little bit divisive on Arasov and Blankenberg, who are also in the overall top 15. So let's start with Blankenberg. I ranked him as a seven and Victor scored him as a four. So some things I like about Blankenberg, he was found money for Columbus and anybody who added him into their fantasy rosters last year because he was signed as an undrafted free agent out of the NCAA. He's one of the unsung heroes on the vaunted Michigan Wolverines. So last summer, sorry, last year, Injuries to the Jackets blue line opened up the door for Blankenberg, and he did not disappoint when presented with the opportunity. He scored 14 points in 36 games. Remember, he's a defenseman. And more impressive than that, he had elite level bash, 61 hits and 49 block shots, all at the sweet, sweet cap hit of 825,000 a year. Unfortunately, he became part of the injury problem, the parade to the infirmary, and he missed a bunch of games to a variety of injuries ranging from upper body to knee to a broken ankle no doubt from blocking a shot so i like him i did like him when we wrote this to be a regular on the roster this year playing a bottom to mid pairing contributing big totals and hits and blocks if he could stay healthy since we did the organizational rankings columbus went out and added ivan provorov and damon severson to the roster so i'm a little bit more cool on him now than i was then and the prospects that they you know they have in the system will be surpassing him on the depth chart now or in the not too distant future so long term in columbus i think he's looking more like an american hockey league guy and it's also worth noting that he's already 25 years old so you know i i like him a lot i think i think he had great value last year and i thought that he was going to have good value this year but barring another extensive injury ward situation in Columbus, he might have a hard time cracking the roster this year. Victor, what's your take on on Blankenberg? You ranked him as a four. Yeah, I think he summed it up pretty well. And I think we could we could all comment on Yarmo Kekalainen and say it'd be a whole lot cooler if you hadn't added those guys for Blankenberg because it definitely blocked him a bit. And but yeah, no, I think he's unlike what we talked about with Davies, who hasn't ever really you know, been able to transition. Blankenberg, you know, say what you want. And and he is a bit, you know, undersized at 5'9", but he plays with the reckless abandon. And he played, you know, he's played 
43 NHL games already to this point. That's way more than Davies has, and he's a bit younger. So there's there's definitely some projectability there, and and he's definitely a little bit better in his own end, even though he's a bit of a smaller guy. He's very physical. So I like that about him. I like his bash. He's elite when it comes to that. Two hits and almost a block and a half per game is pretty ridiculous. He's close to about a shot and a half. Some games he'll get you two. So that's pretty nice. But basically, it looks like he'll be a 32-point pace if he sticks around in the NHL. I think you make a good case that, that maybe he won't. Columbus has so many great young defensemen. But again, I tend not to like to focus too much on that because if Blankenberg moves to another team, then it's very possible he could get a role but I think he's he's kind of bottom pairing type material, like kind of a, it's kind of like an energy forward, but on defense. And, and maybe he maybe he gets some games at forward. I think that would be not unreasonable. He also shot eight percent this year, which is certainly not sustainable for a defenseman. So I think you could probably knock off a couple goals. I mean, he had four, so it's not like he's gonna have them all go away. But you know, he's he's probably more like a couple goal guy. But I liked his A2 to A1 ratio, which was 50%. So that's nice. So yeah, 25 to 30 point defenseman with elite bash. I think that's nice. If the if the points were higher, I would have given him a right, higher rank. But I think we, you know, we we mostly kind of agree, as you said, I think that it's more, is he going to play? And how high is the points upside beyond the bash, which gives you a really great floor. But, you know, him being small also makes you wonder if he's going to be able to withstand all the hitting and all the physicality in the NHL. So definitely have some concerns there with Nick Blankham. All right, so let's move on to the other guy that you mentioned, Neil Tarasov. And we definitely have a, a huge discrepancy here, and that's because I ranked him as an eight and you didn't rank him. Tarasov is a 2017 third round pick. He's six foot five, 196 pounds. He's really big. He's got great size for a goalie. He's now 24 years old, so he's kind of right in that goalie prime. He's split the last two seasons between the NHL and AHL. And when you look at his raw numbers, they really don't look very good. No one's in Columbus did except Corpusalo for some reason. And, and I really don't understand Corpusalo because he has looked so bad at times. He looks so good at times. He's a very confusing goalie. <laughs> but Tarasov's expected goal per goal conceded in stat stat looks very good it's kind of a goal save above expected mark marker and in the ahl in cleveland the last three seasons he has had a very good goal save above expected and so that's a really good thing to know when you look at his nhl numbers it's clearly not good as i mentioned i mean merzlikens was really awful tarasov had a really hard time for sure corpusello the only one with a really strongly positive goal save above expected I had some some conversations with Kat Silverman about him because, you know, the environment in Columbus was very bad. It was really difficult to be a goalie. They had so many injuries, as you detailed. It was really not the right place for him to be. And so, you know, the fact that, you know, thinking about his NHL readiness, he he didn't really have that much solid, consistent AHL time without kind of bouncing in between. And I think he really probably needs to be like a full-time or he needed that at this point it's hard to say what he needs because his development kind of got a little disrupted but he had been you know had had some play in Liga and in the KHL before coming over 
There's no question though that his that the team actually provided him pretty decent protection in Columbus and he struggled. I think there was a lot of second guessing himself, not trusting the defense. So that part is hard to argue with, but when you look at his equivalency, he has one of the highest equivalencies of any prospect goalie, way higher than than a lot of the way I put up a comp here to Jonathan Quick and he had much better numbers in every stage of the development than Quick and some other guys like Philip Grubauer, Trevor Kidd, Rick DiPietro, better than than those guys. And our draft guide calls him a star NHL starter potentially in the future. So that's the that's one of the things that I would say. And I have him ranked really highly on my ranks too in terms of goalies. He's he's one of the goalies that I think could really step into a role. I know that I agree with what you said too. That I think that Columbus could really turn things around very quickly here. And then Tarasov could be part of that. And so he could be a very valuable guy pretty soon. I have him ranked 10th on my prospect goalie list. So, I mean, that's the thing to like about him. I know you could hold this season against him, but I think that there are a lot of mitigating factors and a goalie can only be as good as the environment he's in. So with all those caveats, I still really believe in Daniel Tarasov, and I think he's one of the best prospects on this team and one of the best prospect goalies out there. So tell us why you kind of differ a little bit, Pete. So I actually wrote the Columbus page, too, in the Dauber Prospect Report. And so I, I got to choose what his upside would be. And I think it is star NHL starter if everything breaks right for him. If Columbus turns into a really, really strong team and plays good defense, I think they can support him. And then, you know, it doesn't matter who's in goal at that point. As long as you're good enough, they, they're, you're a star starter. However, I did write that in the guide that statistically speaking, it was a very difficult season and his numbers are poor. You know, albeit it was on a poor team in the American Hockey League, but the numbers are the numbers. You are what your record says. He has two years of development already in North America now, but he's missed a lot of games due to injury too. So that's a bit concerning. You look at you know durability as a potential problem too. The thing I like most about him is the lack of depth in goal in the Columbus system. I mean, there just really isn't any competition for him either. Not much in front and even less behind. So I mean, the door's open. He just needs to step through it and become the guy. I've had limited number of viewings on him, but when I have seen him, he's, you know, he's been just okay. Not bad, not great, just just a goalie. And I guess I'm cold on him overall because I expect that the team is going to address their goaltending situation with some external ads. There are a lot of unrestricted free agent goalies in the market this summer, and there's some good names available in the trade market too. So, you know, Columbus has shown they're they're not afraid to make some moves in in the offseason here and shore up their roster. And I think that's one position that they could really use a shot in the arm in. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And now we're down to the final team, Minnesota. All right. So let's move on. We've made it. The final team, the final countdown, right? So. The Minnesota Wild are the team at the top. And I think what's really interesting about this is they are 
both a competitive team and have a really great prospect system. That's pretty fantastic. The Wild have been absolutely killing it with their draft picks lately, even though they haven't all necessarily translated. But Matt Boldy has been a, a recent huge win. Obviously, Kaprizov, that they took 135th way back in 2015, has been panning out pretty nicely lately. Some other lesser contributors have really added to the depth of their team. Guys like Brandon Duhame, Joel Erickson Eck, Mason Shaw, Connor Dewar. These are not, you know, super fantasy relevant guys. Well, maybe Erickson Eck is for the bash, but they definitely help round out the team. And then some pretty significant guys that have yet to really make a huge mark in the NHL. Marco Rossi, Marat Kuznadinov, Adam Beckman, Carson Lambos, Danilo Yurov, Liam Ugrin, all you know, looking like they're progressing really well and will contribute. And then their future starting goalie, I think, Jesper Wallstedt, who I still can't believe fell all the way to 20 back in 2021. I was tearing my hair out and banging the table for about 10 picks that day. That was that was crazy. We'll see if that happens live. That's going to be fun to be able to commiserate with people rather than just doing it at home. But we're going to highlight a couple of the players that I'm a little higher on, mainly because you you really aren't higher on anyone except Sam Walker, who you gave a three to, and I didn't rank. That seems kind of unfair to argue over a guy like that. So I'm going to take the high on two guys, Kyle Masters and Jack Pert. And so Kyle Masters, the first guy we'll talk about, he is a 2021 fourth round pick. So lacking some draft pedigree there, six foot, 176 pound, right-handed D. Had some pretty minimal production in his D plus one, D and D plus one year, but really went off for about a point per game for Kamloops last season and half a point per game in the playoffs. His PNHLE currently at 56, although he kind of wavered far under that for the couple seasons before that, really going up significantly this past season. The top-down hockey model has him very low at just a 2% chance of being both a star and an NHLer, so that's pretty low. And then the hockey prospecting model has had him a little bit higher in his draft season and actually cooled off quite a bit with his poor draft plus one season. So there aren't really many great comps for him. Maybe someone like Michael Stone. There's also some other comps of guys like Keith Yandel, but I don't know that that's as realistic. So I'm... Not quite sure I believe this blip in production. In some ways, it almost reminds you of the Tyson Hins discussion we had at the beginning of the episode, but I think Masters lacks some of the size and physicality that Hins has, but I similarly believe in the Minnesota drafting, at least in the last few years, certainly. So I like that. I like the spike that he had, and I, I wanted to highlight somebody who would be available, and I think Kyle Masters is probably available in most people's leagues especially being such a late pick. If you believe that he's a late bloomer, the April birth date and COVID-shortened campaign maybe could help you buy into his offensive outburst this current season that just happened. So those are some reasons why maybe he's a little interesting, but it sounds like you didn't buy it. Pete, what do you think about Kyle Masters? Yeah, he just missed my cut. I gave my final D spot, I gave the edge to Ryan O'Rourke basically based on a larger sample size of consistency in production and development that I see from him than Masters. I like the spike in production for sure, but he was really not relevant until his fourth year in junior and a move to Kamloops. So how much of that spike is due to his age, being a 19-year-old playing against younger guys, 
or is it more relevant to his deployment in Kamloops and the quality of teammates that he had there? I think it's probably a little column A, a little column B. So I need to see more when he gets to the American Hockey League next year to have some interest. You know, if he resets and goes back to being not really relevant as the rookie, then I'm not really interested. But if he's able to maintain a high level of production and play a top role with with their AHL affiliate there, then then he'll show up on my radar. But until he shows me that, I'm not particularly interested. Furthermore, being a fringe player for a top 15 ranking on a team that has high-end prospects like Addison, Brock Faber, Carson Lambos ahead of him, it makes it even harder to be keen on him, right? Like he's he's in the best organizational rankings team there is in the NHL, according to Dauber Prospects. So quality of competition to crack the roster is going to be really hard. So that's why I was kind of the poo-poo train today. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, a lot of their current D are a little bit on the older side. So maybe there'll be an opportunity soon, but maybe not. And the next guy has, I have some interest in too. I had Jack Pert as a five, got him as a two. So Pert was a 2021 second round pick. He's a little bit smaller at 5'11", 185. Really strong NCAA production for Pert. He had the last the last two seasons he had really good NCAA numbers after dream- being drafted at a high school, and he also went to high school in Minnesota, so he's been able to stay kind of local. So he's at St. Cloud State, and his G plus one season, he had 17 points in 32 games for St. Cloud State, and then last season 24 points in 39 games, which is pretty nice. He also represented the U.S. at two different World Junior Championships, having five assists over those 11 games. Certainly wasn't the focal point offensively or anything, but U.S. being a pretty decent high-scoring team in those tournaments, able to get some assists, so that's nice. Burt's PNHLE looks like 53, and he's been basically between a first and second line potential the whole time. He's been a prospect, so it's kind of nice to see that consistency. He's kind of hovered just above that second line potential in that system. He's got some similarity scores like Joachim Ryan and Mikey Anderson, who are who are guys who are NHLers, maybe not the most exciting. Mikey Anderson, definitely more of a defensive defenseman, not much in the way of offense. So, and Joachim Ryan, I would say someone whose offense didn't really translate to the NHL. In the top-down hockey model, Pert has more of a 1% chance of being an NHLer, or a star, sorry, 16% chance of being an NHLer. And in hockey prospecting, it's a little bit better. He's hovered between 9 and 15% chance of being a star, although he is kind of trending down in that system a little bit, despite the really strong production. So, I don't think Jack Pert is a 50-point defender. I think he's maybe more of a 30 to 40-point guy, and I think he's someone who could be, you know, maybe a second or 30-point guy. He, he definitely seems more like a guy who's going to play NHL games. I think he's got really good mobility and compete level, and he's he's represented the U.S. internationally. So I think there's some upside there to play games. I'm not so sure that that he has a ton of offense to give, so that may be the argument against him. But you were much lower on Pert, so tell us why. Well, I kind of like this file a little bit, certainly more than Masters. I might have been a little stingy with my low score of a two. Like you said, I'm not sure I see a high offensive upside with this player, though. But I like his floor and agree he could make the, the NHL in a couple of years. Like Masters, though, his competition for one of the top six NHL jobs is fierce in Minnesota. And I'm just not sure I see a path for him to do that in this organization. 
He's not going to be a top pairing guy or a power play guy. So his role will be defensively safe, bottom support player. And uh, hopefully he can provide you with value in terms of peripheral stats with hits and block shots and whatnot. Yeah, that's pretty much my thought on on Jack Pert. We'll see what he does next year. I think he's a signed player, so he should be playing pro. And uh, yeah, he's put him on your watch list, I guess, is what I would say at this time. And if you got to choose between him or Masters, go with Pert. Well, I think we made it. Thanks for listening to Dauber Prospects Report number 11. That concludes our review of the organizational rankings. I tweeted out on the podcast recently where you can find the organizational rankings on Dauber Prospects. You just click on uh, rankings and there's a little tab there for, you guessed it, organizational rankings. You can see the rankings. The list for all of the podcast episodes can be found there as well including the articles that the managing editors, the editors split up doing a review on, on each team, talking a little bit about the rankings and, and the team depth and, and whatnot. So if you've been really enjoying these episodes, go check that out. For feedback on the show, or if you want to chat with us, you can follow us on Twitter at DPR underscore show, at Farling, at Victor Nuno 12, at Sabarin 91. That's me, Victor, and Evan. Don't forget to follow the at HockeyPodNet and all the great podcasts on that network. Please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or the podcast aggregator of your choice, wherever you can find us, and go ahead and drop a five-star review. And if you do, leave your name on it so that we can enter you in a contest where you could win a copy of the Prospect Report that Victor and I have been referencing throughout these episodes. It's it's a handy-dandy little guide. We talked about it off the top. You're going to want a copy for free if you haven't already bought one. Well, that's pretty much it for now, Victor. I'll see you in Nashville, my dude. Heck yeah, I can't wait, Pete. Right on. So the next podcast you hear from us will be us talking to NHL folks in Nashville from the draft. So look forward to that episode. Thanks for listening. Keep your stick on the ice. We're good, streaky! Yeah! Let's do that hockey. Hockey.